welcome to the other side of paradise. Shall we begin? We left our lovers in New York City with a dwindling cash flow, celebrity status, and a baby on the way. Zelda found out that she was pregnant on Valentine's Day 1921 as Scott was working on his next novel, a badly needed bid for a cash infusion. He titled it, The Beautiful and the Damned. Again, a very accurate title for the moment in their lives. Lacking the money to continue, and with the deadline of a due date quickly approaching, the Fitzgeralds decided to return to St. Paul and stay with Scott's family so that he could focus and the baby would be delivered away from the chaos of the city. On October 26, 1921, Zelda gave birth. Delivering a child was quite a different matter in 1921. I'll spare you the gory details, but Zelda completed a twilight sleep. This procedure involved putting the mother on some sort of anesthesia and inducing labor, then possibly forcibly removing the baby. This was, as you might imagine, a dangerous practice for both the mother and the baby. However, both Zelda and her new baby girl emerged unscathed, though famously, Scott recorded Zelda's words as she emerged from anesthesia. Oh God, Goofo, I'm drunk. Mark Twain, isn't he smart? He, she's the hiccups. Oh, I hope it's a beautiful and a fool, a beautiful little fool. If her words are familiar, you've read The Great Gatsby. Daisy Buchanan says these words almost exactly about her own daughter. Now, as we've already established, the naming of a child is no small matter. After all, we are dealing with two people whose names either coincidentally or fatefully perfectly fit them and the meanings behind the names. This is also a revealing moment for Scott's psyche. It is unclear what exactly Zelda had in mind for the name of her child, but it was likely not the name of her husband. This was quickly an overshadowing crowd into the joy of new parenthood. Scott wanted to name the child Francis Scott Fitzgerald, and understandably, Zelda did not. In the end, Scott won. The baby was named for her father, with only one letter of difference. Francis was spelled with an E rather than an I. Now it is impossible to posthumously diagnose Scott with any sort of mental disorder. However, his life and writing strongly suggest two possibilities. Firstly, that he struggled with some form of alcoholism. And secondly, some type of narcissistic personality disorder. There is overwhelming evidence that Scott struggled deeply with his relationship with alcohol. He was a notorious partier, so was Zelda for that matter, but he outdrank her at every turn and brought his issues home with him and into the rest of his life. Later in life, it would lead to a series of hospitalizations. It is unclear what exactly led to his eventual death, but years of heavy alcohol consumption surely had a role to play. There are many moments and actions that suggest Scott was unable to look past himself, his work, his reputation, and his legacy to truly care for the others around him as themselves rather than who they were to him. This accounts for his immediate charm and confidence as well as the conflicts he famously had with his wife and friends, and then ultimately, the name of their daughter.
Frances Scott Fitzgerald, the daughter, never ended up going by Frances, but instead was called by the nickname that her mother gave her for the rest of her life. Going forward, we will be referring to her by her preferred name, Scotty. We are now entering a slightly foggier age of the Fitzgeralds' lives. This era is fraught with confusion and speculations of scholars and historians. I will do my best to untangle what I can for you, or at the very least, give you the evidence and the theory. After Scotty's birth, the Fitzgeralds returned to New York, and Scott continued to push forward on the beautiful and the damned. Then, once again, Zelda found herself pregnant. Here's where the story becomes convoluted. The Fitzgeralds did not have a second baby. There were rumors at one point of an entry in Scott's diary that referenced Zelda and her abortionist. But no such diary entry has been found. There is also a chapter in The Beautiful and the Damned that is lent to this rumor. The main character, Gloria, brings concerns to her lover that she's pregnant. And he says, talk to some woman and find out what's best to be done. Most of them fix it some way. Though this section was removed from the final version, it seems abortion would have been too controversial at the time and would have overshadowed the plot point. Regardless of abortion or miscarriage or perhaps simply being incorrect about the pregnancy, no baby was born. Scotty would forever remain the sole heir to the Fitzgerald legacy. Later that year, Scott published The Beautiful and the Damned and experienced moderate success. By the end of the year, 50,000 copies had been sold. Scott also published a series of 11 short stories titled Tales of the Jazz Age. Though there is not one source to point at where the name coming from the Jazz Age is, it is widely considered that this title has a large part to play in it. These works provided a crucial cash infusion to the family, and they quickly took it in stride. Once again, reclaiming their celebrity status, the Fitzgeralds took full advantage of Prohibition, which had started in January of 1920. They were moved from both the Biltmore and the Commodore hotels for drunkenness. Zelda once gave an impromptu and wobbly ballet performance in the Fountain at Union Square. They were famously drunk and chaotic in almost a charming way, arriving to parties only to quickly fall asleep for a nap and then finish the night dancing erratically. Dorothy Parker, a rising satirist and poet at the time, met the Fitzgeralds when they were perched atop a taxi cab. She later said, They did look as though they both had just stepped out of the sun. Their youth was striking. Everyone wanted to meet him. This is why the Fitzgeralds are so impossibly towering figures of the 1920s. They act as if they are the main characters of the story. But the story is a decade of a population. They cannot be everyone's main character. They're glowing, bright, chaotic, and demand your attention. But they are also broken, drunk, and tragic. People are tangled strands of traits, and the Fitzgeralds are no exception. Everyone believes that they are the main character of their own story but the Fitzgeralds seemed to believe they were the main characters of everyone else's story. While their celebrity status grew, they were the shining figure of society. Their home life was rapidly deteriorating. Financial troubles, drunkenness, and jealousy, both relational 
and somewhat professional, seeped in between the cracks of their greatness to erode their chance for happiness. This became exacerbated as Scott was no longer satisfied with his literary work and instead turned to the theater. He developed a screenplay and produced a play titled The Vegetable, Out of Pocket. To put it kindly, Scott's investment did not pay off. In 1923, his play had an incredibly short run at a loss to him and his investors. He was running low on money with a toddler and a wife that he was increasingly at odds with in a desperate bid to reclaim a healthy home life and stimulate his creativity, thus his cash flow. Scott moved his family to France so that he could complete his novel on the impossibility of the American dream.